It's World Mental Health Day. Time to raise awareness and erase the stigma surrounding mental illness. This year's theme is make mental health and well-being for all a global priority. There's been a lot more discussion about mental health over the last decade than in years past, but experts say there's still more work to do. Mental health has a broad definition ranging from how you think and behave to how you perceive relationships and the world around you. And it's an integral part of your well-being. And that, you know, gets back to this, you know, hyperactive um, culture that we're in where everybody is working, 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 terribly uh, busy. But so that that does create stress. It does create anxiety. And something you can do yourself is work on stillness, paying attention. If you or somebody you know is struggling with mental illness, there are resources that can help. Reach out to a loved one or a mental health professional. And in crisis situations, call the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Consciousness. The notion of the self. Personality structure. Transactional analysis. Symbiosis. Zen Buddhism. Teacher-student. Relationships. Training yourself in how to think. To subvert is to undermine the existing system of inscribed power and authority. What's happening in the digital space. The virtual world. Much of us live in a hyper-stimulated present where language itself has become the info currency in the sequence of corporate capitalism. The injunction of the virtual world is the gatekeepers of our speech and written word are global tech monopolies. We cannot transcend or go beyond our lack through craving. What are we going to do? How are we going to live our life? The subversive therapist is about what the virtual world is doing to us and what we can do about it. Welcome to The Subversive Therapist. I'm your host, Andrew Archer. What you just heard was a brief news story from a local uh, television channel. Uh, there was that 20 seconds of, of dialogue that I provided. So it's only part of a 30-minute interview that I participated in. Uh, so now you're going to hear uh, that interview. Uh, we took the reporter's questions out of it, and it's just... Um, juxtaposed with my own um, summary of the questions, just so you could hear the totality of the interview in comparison to what was actually selected for the news story. So take a listen, see what you think. So the first thing they asked me about is, you know, it was World Mental Health Day that day of the interview, which is interesting because it was also... Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, same day, uh, if that's not ironic. Um, but so they were saying, you know, they're trying to raise awareness around this topic of uh, mental health and it's been getting over, bigger over the years. So why is raising awareness still so important now? So that's question one. Yeah, well, I think it's Im important to define the terms. I was uh, lucky enough to present at the Nobel conference a couple weeks ago, and it wasn't until the second day of the conference that somebody gave a definition of what mental health is. And <clears throat> I think, you know, most of us have a sense of what that term means, but believe it or not, the person that gave the definition was an economist. And he said it was based on productivity and well-being, I'm paraphrasing his uh, slide. So I think, you know, that's especially true in American culture is 
you know, you're on your own in American culture. And so to make it, you got to be, you know, the strongest to survive is kind of this cultural ideology. But I, I, I look to um, some of the great psychoanalysts in terms of, of understanding these terms. And Eric Byrne is the founder of Transactional Analysis. That's who I've been studying. And he understood mental health, that terminology, as sort of a, a game or a, a kind of gimmick because, um, you know, mental health is really a relational process. So the idea that you could come in and meet with me, a therapist, and through tricks like hypnosis and EMDR and, and ART therapy and these different things, I would sort of absolve you of your mental health issues. I mean, I'm not saying that therapy doesn't have benefits uh, to it, but it, it kind of ignores the, uh, the social political realities of, of what's going on. So when I work with clients, I focus on helping them understand their cultural conditioning, which is always different um, across the board. So that you can study and you can analyze to see that most of the time we're structuring our games or excuse me, we're structuring our time playing games with people, meaning being deceptive, manipulative. And if the culture is so much about competition and individuality, I would say kind of hyper-individuality, then that just promotes these kind of adaptive behaviors where you like, I can't let go of anything that I want, like if I go into a relationship. That's the idea. And I hear that from clients is like, this other person is stopping me from getting what I want and I'm like wow that's like <laughs> that's like a three or four year old I mean you can't actually get uh, everything you want so anyways the the terminology I think is problematic for basically political reasons but I certainly agree that people suffer and they suffer based on how they were conditioned largely as little kids and that's something that that very much uh, can be examined you know, changed, uh, but it's really a relational process. It's not, it's not solely an individual one. But that's where I think the biological approach has taken us. You know, if you ask the psychiatrist, what is mental health? They would talk about the biological, the psychological, and the social, and they would talk about neurotransmitters and the brain. And, you know, all of that is, is uh, correct in some ways, but again, it negates what's going on in society that you can't divorce from your own experiences of of who you are of what's happening um, that kind of thing when i got trained in uh clinical hypnosis one of the trainers was talking about how you know and this is in the twin cities a lot of her clients are kindergartners um and they're anxious <laughs> believe it or not this is a few years ago but they were doing these mass shooter drills all the time and scaring the crap out of these little kids and so i'm sitting there listening and like yeah we can do hypnosis on each individual to work on their mental health but there's a lot of other things we can do in society that would make school safer and it's and i and i you know i just heard on the radio today you know 10 million dollars for minnesota schools to to make them safer and that's going to amount to a bunch of mental health I mean, we probably won't go into to mass shooters. That's what I've been studying uh, and talking about uh, lately. But it, it is not going to make a dent in uh, mass shootings, unfortunately. I, that is something I'm very concerned about. But um, that is not the route that's going to 
keep people safe. Uh, third question. Um, here in America, it is very what I want individualistic culture. How does it play into the stigma that still exists for a lot of people who have ex who have depression, common mental health illnesses? Uh, they said, you know, this anecdote about when they're in high school is weird to talk about saying you have depression. So this is what I said. Well, I don't think I don't think that's um, where the I don't think it's stigma. I think it's um, you know it seems like uh, political views are getting more extreme. I don't know if that is true or not, but I think people are very wary. Um, well, I'll just say it. I think uh, people on the right are chastising any form of sort of liberalism. Uh, you know, and I when I say that, I mean like democratic liberalism from like the mid 20th centuries that like we're going to invest in science and come up with policies based on voting and that kind of thing. So if mental health is wrapped in in what people perceive to be this, uh, you know, liberal arts, Marxist agenda, you know, critical race theory, you know, and people are using that kind of terminology, I think it just pushes people farther away from it. I don't think people are necessarily afraid to talk about it. I'm, cert I'm certainly aware from my clinical work that families condition uh, kids to not talk about the family and to not talk about themselves, you know, certainly to not go to a uh, psychotherapist like myself. But I don't think it's stigma. I think it's values and belief systems, which, of course, the ones I'm mentioning are very scary because we have to agree on some basic things. Um, but it, it's a kind of you know, it's this, well, I think kind of magical thinking happening um, on, the, on the fringes about it. But I think, I think it's tied into that, you know, if, you're, if your sense of identity is, is God, then whatever that means to you, that's going to absolve you of any mental health problems. You're not going to go see a secular atheist therapist or something, you know. So I think it's really those, those prejudices, uh, prejudicial kind of... Um, thinking that's that's keeping people from engaging in it because they're they're tying it to this whole i don't know i don't even know how to explain it kind of uh liberal science worldview or something like that that'd be my guess i think people have information about it they just have their own specific um beliefs but you know to your question about individualism if it's all about the self then it is something that needs to be optimized. It's a it's a project that needs to be invested in. Uh, it's this solid thing that, of course, you're in competition with everyone else. So that's where I think you know people that aren't quote unquote making it are see themselves as somehow deficient and damaged and problematic. And then you have you know um, practitioners reaching out to say oh no you're you're not okay because you have depression or because you have adhd or whatever i just don't i i don't buy into that simplistic kind of um narrative but the, it goes way back to the the 60s and the anti-psychiatry movement you know again people suffer and they suffer in all different kinds of um ways but to define what that suffering is and what the treatment is is very much a political statement. So again, I think a lot of that, if we think in general from the right, the, the more communitarian kind of religious 
section, they're going to be wary of that because then we're brainwashing their children. Like, I'm, I'm not big on social emotional learning because it's so individualistic, but I'm not afraid of the kids, you know, being brainwashed and damaged from learning about feelings and emotions, you know. And of course, I'm a hypocrite because the name of my business is Minnesota Mental Health Services. But I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about this stuff five years ago. Uh, and I'm certainly a proponent of, of therapy, but I just feel like it's, it's you know, everything, everything is objectified in our culture specifically and made into a kind of possession. I feel like mental health is this possession that you have, but it's problematic in two ways. One, nobody is defining what it is. And two, there is no uh, plateau where you get there. Like, like, am I mentally healthy today? I mean, what if my, my kid goes into the hospital tomorrow, but I meditate and I go work out and I ride my bike and that kind of thing. So it, it's just, it's just impossible. Like consciousness itself, I'm more interested in consciousness. Uh, we certainly don't understand consciousness, but it, it's, it's not a thing. It's a, it's a, a kind of intangible and yet it it has some you know form to it but so to define what that is and is not i think is just it it needs to be hotly debated and what i see happening is on the right and the left everyone is embracing uh mental health treatment without really saying what it is and you've you've heard my my you know anarchy come out it just looks like more control over the individual uh you know kind of surveillance of their thinking and what's going on as a broader project not like therapists are submitting their notes to the fbi but that you know i think that that individualism alone really backs you into a corner because you think you're the same across time that's why i have such an issue with the virtual world is like like this i can't go on zoom and just wander around right i have to identify myself as andrew archer same with twitter facebook any of these things and so i understand it but little kids growing up basically within it i mean i think it's going to be difficult for them to understand that you know the way i talk to is different than i talk to a 10 year old or you know a therapy client or my wife or all these so that that uh, the notion of the self is really a relational process. It's like it's like a verb versus a noun or a, a pronoun. It's this process that happens, and th and that's what, why people are so interesting. That's why my job is so interesting is because I get to hear these stories. I mean, most of them are are kind of mis or uh, kind of confused about you know their story, but they're always different. Everybody's experience. Uh, is different and they tell it you know in similar ways but uh but it's always brand new to me and that, that i think people are fascinating in that way okay so on this next question the reporter said some people thought because they don't have a diagnosis it didn't affect them uh what are my thoughts on that yeah well it's you know my my framework uh is informed most uh, by my training in Zen Buddhism and in Eastern philosophies in general, but certainly um, Zen Buddhism and Taoism, they don't say the mind's over here and the body's over here. It's, it's body-mind. So you don't have a uh, mind without a body and the other way around. So it's, again, it's this co-emergence. There, there aren't really psychosomatic illnesses. You've probably heard that <laughs> term. You know, specifically like irritable bowel syndrome or 
uh, fibromyalgia and these different ones, it's like everything is psychosomatic because everything that affects your body, affects your mind, everything that affects your mind affects your your body. So that's where I wouldn't I wouldn't be talking about mental health and then physical health. I would just be talking about health. And there's certainly differences, you know, in terms of, of health status and we we can all be in, in quite a bit of agreement around um, certain metrics in terms of, you know, body fat content, weight, uh, you know, your lung capacity, stuff like that. But with mental health, again, the parameters are very uh, fuzzy. I don't trust our government to be doing the right thing in terms of, uh, you know, this allocation of funds for mental health. And it's all about making sure the children are okay and and all of that stuff i think it's it's unfortunately you know if if we a hundred years from now look back on the beginning of the 21st century they're going to say uh the self or the or human beings in that time period they're very fragile like they had to be attended to and be very careful you know, some people make fun of like the padded <laughs> playgrounds and stuff for kids. That that isn't that's good. We don't want them cracking their heads. But but this idea that they're very fragile and like uh, if they learn about this information or if they see these videos or like they're going to be scarred and traumatized. That's just not been my experience um, as a parent. That kids want to learn about what's really going on in the world. And the more that I think we can overemphasize this point that like you can have this diagnosis or you know mental illness i mean it's all it it, it just the language strikes me as like like you're going to be struck by lightning and then you have this disorder uh but but my experience as a clinician as a parent is that this is very much a part of the family system the roles we play in the family system which you can't divorce from the larger cultural system because the parents siphon off that cultural conditioning and then train um, their kids in in likewise ways, but if you know, I guess I'm probably sounding more like the psychoanalyst in the in the 20th century. Is like you need time to examine all the details of the history, but also understand that the way we tell the narrative uh, is always flawed to some degree, uh, and that you can get at that with these analytical approaches and. You know that's what I'm. That's what I'm. I've found. I, I didn't. This isn't something I um, developed. It was like after trying all these different approaches, I landed on transactional analysis, and I love it because all I do is I teach the frameworks to the clients, and then they teach themselves the method. I mean, I also have group therapy and stuff going on, but it, the the short version is you have to be able to focus and concentrate. You know, be mindful to pay attention to your own thinking because so much of it is borrowed from our parents, especially the worldviews. But we think, oh, that's me. Uh, and, you know, I could go on and on about this from a, <laughs> a developmental perspective and with my kids and stuff. So it's like, it, it's just, I think this mental health terminology is really reifying um, how important your thinking is. And it's not that thinking isn't important, but how are you in relationships with people? We can't see that very well from our own two eyes because we see it from inside our head. And so you need methods to understand more from a bird's eye view, well, what actually takes place? What happens? And and like I said earlier, we play games with people. Um, and it's because we're afraid of intimacy. We play games. 
the next question, um, the reporter said, for people at home who might be struggling because they don't have a bird's eye view or a resource that they know of, would like to reach out, where do they even start? Well, I think most people start on Google, like everybody else. But, you know, it's, uh, I, I think, you know, we have to be, this is, this is like the issue with the psychiatric textbook, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. A few years back, they started including more cultural bound syndromes. Well, everything is culturally bound. So if you're suffering and you're, you're really struggling to figure out how to deal with that suffering, I would look to people in your community and ask them what they do to deal with suffering. So that could be a mosque, that could be a, a therapist, that could be a book club. I mean, I think in general, especially for people skeptical mental health, maybe this will help them. I think in terms of, you know, training your mind, focusing your mind, reading books is like one of the healthiest things you can do. And I don't mean reading on a tablet. Like I mean reading actual books because what you have to do is be sort of selfless in a way to spend the time with this author who spent an enormous amount of time to write the book and to try and understand what they're writing but understand sort of who they are. And so it's a real commitment and and most people will say, well, I'm too busy or I, I can't slow my mind down. They say the same thing for meditation, but no, they can't sit still. And that, you know, gets back to this, you know, hyperactive um, culture that we're in where everybody is working, 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 terribly uh, busy. But so that that does create stress, that does create anxiety. And something you can do yourself is work on stillness, paying attention. I think reading uh, is a great way to do that. It's certainly what I've I've come to understand is really helpful. And then finally, they wanted me to expand more on that. Um, the mental and the physical health uh, as separate entities. So mind-body, that split, it's, it, it goes way back to Rene Descartes, who said, I think, therefore I am. So because he could think, he said, that was proof that he existed even though he could have stubbed his toe or made a peanut butter sandwich and that would have proved he existed as well. But so uh, Cartesian dualism is this fancy term for the separation, the bifurcation of like mind and body that's very apparent in Western culture versus much of Eastern culture would say something like body-mind or, or not two, not one is like, of course, thinking is different than um, you know, moving my hand, but you have to think to move your hand, and when you're moving your hand, that affects thinking. So rather than separating them out, you you think of them as just one larger uh, process. So body mind, for example. And so the the term I was using before was psychosomatic, and psyche means mind, soma means body, and so they'll in the in the kind of mental health industry they're talking about psychosomatic disorders where for example if you're traumatized by something you can convert that trauma into a physical impairment so i have a client right now who was uh, abused as a child and over time they developed um, what looked like epileptic seizures but the, neurologically there wasn't go anything going on in their brain this was an expression 
of suffering. And, and by the way, trauma actually means wound in terms of a psychic, um, you know, wound or, or um, something that needs to be uh, healed. So you always have to consider that that's one of the reasons why telehealth is such a load of crap because you can't you're not with the body. You're just with the, you know, essentially downloaded um, mental process and you can't even see the whole person typically. Um, so you're just talking back and forth to one another. But most of, of um, the psychological processes are below awareness, uh, even for ourselves below awareness. So you'll see people shift in and out of states of mind when you ask them certain questions and they won't even realize it. And so you're you're really paying attention to energy that's throughout the body, obviously. But it, it, again, it's this like if you think of Western culture, <laughs> you would just draw a picture of a giant head and then a little stick figure body because it's all about, you know, the brain, the mind. We're doing all this neurological uh, research, but it's based on that that split, that dualism and practices like Zen are about non-duality, uh, which is way too confusing to try and explain on a on a news interview but like it's it's just like it you know getting back to that like cultural bound if you're from uh japan and you come over here and everyone says what's going on inside your head they might say well who i am is actually a manifestation of my relationships and so if if my um teacher dies you know i suffer i i'm, I'm sort of ill from that you know, severing of a relationship, a more sociocentric process. Egocentric process is all about separating body from mind and that we're, we're this little agent um, inside of our head that has subjective experience of, of what's going on. And I think that's, you know, unfortunately what, um, you know, big tech is really um, making windfalls on is encouraging us to give our subjective opinion, you know, how satisfied are we? What's on our mind? You know, it's just unloading all of this information and data that they're, you know, siphoning into these psychological profiles and then selling us junk we don't need right back from the from the data that we made that, you know, they didn't pay us anything for. But people can go to my podcast if they want to if they want to hear me rant about the the virtual world. I have like two whole uh series on uh on tech. So after all of my answers that you just heard, here's another listen to the 20-second clip that they decided to use. And you know, this podcast is really an example of subversion because on all of the questions that were asked, I tended to challenge the frames of reference of the uh, question itself rather than just adopting the frame of reference that the reporter provided. And this is getting into series three that will become increasingly subversive in terms of the material. So thanks for listening. And that, you know, gets back to this, you know, hyperactive um, culture that we're in where everybody is working, 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 terribly uh, busy. But so that that does create stress, that does create anxiety. And something you can do yourself is work on stillness, paying attention. (laughs) 